What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Point Blank. I'm Chantel Chan, joined alongside Akeem Haynes, episode number 60. If you haven't hit that like or subscribe button yet, make sure to click that like and subscribe button. Helps the channel grow. You can also follow us on our social media platforms. On Twitter, we're at Point Blank Pod. And on Instagram, we're at The Point Blank Pod. You can also find us on Wherever you get your streaming, uh, wherever you stream your podcast. Uh, also, if you have like a quick two minutes, you can also leave a rate and review. Uh, we would really appreciate that. But Akeem, lots to get into. Before we get into all of that, how was your weekend? And uh, are you looking forward to the week ahead in sports? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this weekend was pretty good, Chantel. Um, all of the collegiate sports, um, especially on the football side, the last two weeks of college football is honestly two of, two of the most strangest weeks because teams are tired. You know, if you're going to the championship game, you know, there's so much pressure on you. And, and there's a lot of teams that don't have any pressure on them. And that's the most dangerous ones. And so a lot of top teams almost lost. A lot of top yeah. teams barely squeaked it out. So um, good week, weekend of, of, of sports. Also got to see the CFL yesterday. Um, so I watched that game as well, too. Shout out to the Argonauts, you know, and um, yeah, halftime show was a little bit. Um, Who was it? Who was it? I, I, I'm i not going to lie to you. It was uh, the Chiefs I, I, and Chargers, and I had to watch Sunday Night Football. I don't know. It was just very, if I'm not a big country guy, but yeah. for our listeners, if you're a country person, then it was definitely for you. And it looked cold as heck. So um, not too bad of a weekend. <laughs> how, how was yours? It was a good weekend, man. Uh, as you mentioned, always a good weekend when it's uh, the last couple of weeks of the regular season for college football. And so things are going to get really interesting. This weekend's going to be crazy because uh, there's lots of good matchups. And then we're going to see what the college playoff looks like. So, uh, you know, some really exciting stuff in the world of sports and uh, NBA. Kyrie Irving is back. So why don't we get into that, Akeem? Because there's lots to talk about. Kyrie Irving is back from serving his suspension. What were your thoughts on his return? Well, they won, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's always a plus. But also, um, it's always good to see Kyrie Irving on the court. I mean, there's no denying how skilled and talented that man is with the basketball in his hands. Um, the off-the-court stuff, I think I think the truth in his heart finally came out. We know, I'm not going to say we know. I don't believe Kyrie Irving is an anti-Semitic type of guy. I really believe the man uh, loves all people. But the interview that I saw that kind of went to where he said, man, I, I said those things like I, I responded because I felt attacked. Right. And I think that is a very humane thing to do. Right. And I feel like his character was being tested. So we'll see what happens moving forward with all of that. But this is a guy who I think is really just out here trying to make the world better in the capacity that he sees fit. But him on the court, the Brooklyn Nets is a better team with him on there. And I actually like what I saw. Uh, with Ben Simmons as of recently as well, too. But moving forward, it's good to see Kyrie Irving on the court. Let's hope that he can stay on the court. What were your thoughts, Chantel? Well, you know, he dropped a easy 14 points. I didn't really need him, though. The Nets got the W, and... I think the big thing about Kyrie Irving is what are we going to see from him now? And going back to those anti-Semitic comments that um, they offend, he offended them 
you know, it was interesting because, you know, we kind of quickly talked about it beforehand, but there was a list of things that Kyrie had to do in order to obviously be able to play and stuff. And I, I honestly thought that wasn't fair because he did apologize. And I think he meant it when he apologized because I don't think he actually wants to offend anybody. So it's interesting to see him back on the court. And with that came a frenzy for Kyrie, right? Um, because there were a group of people that came to the game. And I believe a lot of people thought they were from like a frat. But they actually weren't. And I know that Jalen Brown like retweeted it and then he had to apologize. So there's just a lot of apologizing going on. Uh, but as for Kyrie Irving back in a Nets uniform, this is perfect. You mentioned Ben Simmons and he's been looking really good the last three games. And there's a big game coming up where he returns to Philly on Tuesday. And this one is going to be crazy because... This is what everyone kind of wants to see, right? Ben Simmons finally playing good, returns back to Philly. Kyrie is back. KD is back. How healthy can these guys get? And can they make a push to the postseason? Because right now, the way that the Nets look, I feel like they're not a playoff team. But if these guys can come together and start playing elite basketball, because KD's like having an MVP season. Like the numbers that he's putting up, I know the Nets aren't having the best season, but KD's having a good season, personally. So the fact that Kyrie is back, it only makes the Nets better. And hopefully it can be consistent where we see him play and he doesn't have to take any more time off and all of that. So good news for the Brooklyn Nets. But Point Blank would love to know what you think about Kyrie Irving's return. You can drop some comments in our YouTube section. You can also hit us up on our social media channels. All right, Akeem, we're going to move over from the hardwood to the gridiron because last week we were talking about the Minnesota Vikings and how they were arguably one of the best teams in the NFC they're at home. They play the Dallas Cowboys, and the Dallas Cowboys spank them 40-3. to Are the Cowboys one of the most left-on teams in the NFC, or did mm. the Vikings just kind of have it done? Well, two things, Chantel. Before we get into the NFL talk, uh, your Raiders got a win the other day, if I saw correctly, right? You feeling? Yeah, in OT. You, you feeling all right about that? You feeling... Well, I'm happy, you know, and of course I'm happy. Now we just got to win seven in a row, you know what I mean? And hopefully make the playoffs. That's not going to happen. But um, yeah, I'm just happy <laughs> for them because they went to, through such a tumultuous year. You know what I mean? And it's like when you like, I don't know about you. I don't know if you followed one team your whole life or liked anything like that. But and it's like when you're passed down something and you like something for your whole entire life, you're going to stick with it. You know what I mean? So it's like you go with the highs and lows. One season, they had two wins in 2006. So this is not the worst season that I've seen them play. It's also not the worst team because they are talented, but the coaching is, is just really bad. But um, yeah, back to uh, the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. You know, are the are the Vikings, did they just have a dead game at home? Or like, are we sleeping on the Cowboys? You know, honestly, I think through my experience in sports until there's always a couple times per year where you just have an off day or an AF night. And I think this is what the Minnesota Vikings have. Um, are they the most slept on team? To me, the Cowboys in the recent years, right? They've had, they've always had a pretty good team in the recent years. I remember one of my teammates when I got to Alabama, the, one of the biggest die hard Cowboys fans every year is going to be their year. And I'm thinking to myself, bro, you guys haven't won in a while. So clearly it hasn't been your year, but they always have some very good pieces, right? A complete team. They always have a pretty good defense and pretty good offense. You took away Dak this year, missed a couple of <laughs> games and the defense carried them, right? And they're able to rush the ball. I mean, I think offensively when I last checked, they're averaging 25 points per game. And I think they're a league best 
letting opponents score maybe under 17 points, something like that. That's a pretty good formula to win uh, a lot of football games. Through 10 so far, they're doing well. But to me, this is just what the Cowboys do. They always play, play pretty well in the regular season. And you feel like, man, you know, this team could do something special. It's about to be their year. And then the playoffs come and then it kind of goes downhill. And you're just like, wait a minute. We saw this formula before. We saw this. It's like deja vu. We saw it. This is nothing new. So I don't think that they are the most slept on. I think they're a good, solid team. I think their defense may be a little bit better than last year, in my opinion. Um, but I think at the right time, I mean, CeeDee Lamb is going to have to do a lot more. Ezekiel Elliott's going to have to do a lot more. If he's not careful, this spot might be gone. But I need them to be a little bit more consistent offensively before I say that they are going to make a splash on it. I think the Vikings had a bad game. Doesn't mean that they still discredit their way by not winning. I think they did what they had to do. It was a clear, convincing win on a, a tough game where they needed it. And so for me, are they the most slept on? I don't think so. I think we are. I think we are who they think we are, who they thought they were, at least for me. What about you, Chantel? What are your thoughts on them? Do you think they are the most slept on uh, team this year? Ooh, not slept on, but going back to your friend that's a Cowboys fan, it's nice to know that you just hate on anyone that has a team that you got that you got to show some hate for these teams, man. But no, you, you know what I mean? It's not even hate. It's just like I get positivity. I get optimism. But come on, dog. We, 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 we literally sometimes let the positivity blind you a little bit. But I get it. You got to ride with the you gotta, squad. You got you, you to gotta ride with your team. It's called loyalty, man. So I, I appreciate that. That's what you know they what say. I mean? Hey, if you if you're if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, if you're a Raiders fan, if you're like a fan of like the Steelers, um, you're you're gonna, you're gonna go through ups and downs. But those are some of the best fan bases, you know, in the league, and that goes for like other leagues too. Like the Lakers, they have crazy fans, you know, but they still ride for them. So I I gotta appreciate the loyalty there. Are they the most slept on team? I don't think they're the most slept on team, but I do think they're a team that can be a threat to cause some problems. And, you know, you talked about you need to see some more, but at the same time, Dak's been injured, right? So you can't really get consistency if your QB1 has been out. They were able to win some games with Cooper Rush at the QB1 position, but the Dallas defense has been the main story here. They held the Vikings to 183 yards last night. They have one of the best pass rushes in the league. No, they do have the best pass rush in the league. And they were able to do it in the ground and in the air. They had a well-balanced attack. They had 151 yards on the ground. And that really goes to show how great Tony Pollard has been for them this year. I think he's been one of the best stories. He's been consistent. He's been steady. He's averaging just under six yards per carry. And he's one of the best stories for the Dallas Cowboys this year as for the Cowboys I think they have the pieces they have the defense you know it's just can their offense continue to do this week to week and it, I think it's such an unfair thing to say that you know that they're they haven't been con consistent because it's like you can't be consistent when you don't have all of your pieces and they haven't had all of their pieces. And now Dak is finally getting into a little bit of a groove where he's been able to play games. And so if this is the Dallas Cowboys that we're going to get, and let's keep it real here. Yes, the Vikings didn't have the best game, but it's because the Dallas defense caused them some major problems. So some props needs to be given to the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think they're one of the most slept on teams because I still think the 
best teams in the NFC are arguably, I still think the Vikings are going to be a problem. I still think the Eagles, you know, we've seen them go through highs and lows as of late. Uh, some mistakes that they've been making, but they're still one of the top teams and the Niners to me. Uh, I believe that they are, well, they were my favorite to come out of the NFC. And, and I still think they're going to be a problem. But I do think if Dallas can continue to play the way that they played or something similar to how they played against the Vikings, they're going to be a problem in the NFC. And I think they're a team because they do have so much talent that, you know, if Zeke can get going, if CeeDee Lamb does show up for them, if Tony Pollard continues this run that he's been going on, they're going to be a serious problem in the NFC. And I think Cowboy fans have been waiting for this. You talked about the history of it. I think Dallas's defense has been good for the last three years. Prior to that, their defense was a little bit sus, especially in the secondary. Their offense, they've had the pieces, but their whole team hasn't been able put, to put it together. This was like a perfect game from them where they had the defense and they had the offense and they were able to do it against an elite team in the NFC. So I think that's something big. If Dallas can continue this and, you know, continue to play with this type of level and energy, yeah, I think I think they could definitely be a sleeper to go to the Super Bowl. And that's just from what I saw against the Vikings. Because to me, they are definitely one of the best teams in the NFL. All right. Well, Point Blank would love to know your thoughts on what you think about the Dallas Cowboys. Are they a sleeper? Are they a contender? Or did the Vikings just lay an egg at home? Drop some comments in our YouTube section. You can also hit us up on our social media channels as well. Akeem, we're going to go from football to uh, footy actually, because the FIFA World Cup <laughs> is uh, officially underway right now uh, because we record this on Mondays. Uh, the USA is up on Wales 1-0. And, you know, we could break down the different groups. That would take forever. So my question to you is, who do you have winning the World Cup? Well, you know, I, 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 tried to, I tried to find one team, Chantel, but I don't know if I have one team. I came up with three teams, you know, um, even going back to my first days, Watching the World Cup where I was actually old enough to understand what was going on. 2002 when Brazil beat Germany 2-0. Of course, they had Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Roberto Carlos, Ronaldinho on that squad. So I'm looking at three teams, Chantel. Um, England is one of those teams for me. Uh, Raheem Sterling, I also got to big him up too because he was born in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. Always got to support my Jamaican people. Marcus Rashford, Jude Bellingham, um, Boyoko Saka, and of course, Harry, Harry Kane. They have a solid team, and this team has been playing together for quite some time. So I think they are going to be in the mix. I mean, they beat Iran. I think they played today, if Six. I remember correctly. Yeah, it was yeah, but Iran, them. Iran, Six goals. Iran's never really a good team. So I'm not really putting too much on that. But if they can play as well as they did, how they were moving the football around, I mean, eh, I think that they can do something. Second team, Brazil. You know, if you're born in Jamaica, you just have a little bit of, you just had a little bit, maybe it's the colors, I don't know what it is, but you just indebted to this Brazilian team. You kind of like them. So the squad with Neymar, Rafinha, Thiago Silva, very good team. And I think this team goes as far as Neymar takes them. If Neymar chooses to play with his team, I think they'll go far. If he tries to do everything by himself, as we've seen him before, I don't think they are going to do very well. So uh, if Neymar chooses to play with the team, unselfish football, they will go far as they did in 2016 when they won the Olympics. Other teams should tell is Argentina. <laughs> Messi is not getting any, any younger. He's won dang near every single thing in football that you can think of except this. And so I think he's going to be playing with a little bit more extra motivation. And I think Angel, uh, Angel Demera, he is one who's going to have to step it up as well, too. Messi has to create magic. 
Can he? Absolutely. He's done it before in previous times. But he is going to have to create that magic if Argentina is going to have a chance to win. So for me, those are three teams that stick out to me the most. England, Brazil, Argentina. Portugal was also in the mix. But I don't even know if Ronaldo wants to play soccer right now with everything that's been going on with Manchester uh, United and all that going on over there. So I'm not going to put him there. Those are my three teams, Chantel. Do you have three or do you have, did you narrow it down to one? Give me your no, thoughts. I, I, I only have one, man. I keep it pretty simple. Um, you know, you talked about um, England and they had a great game today. Iran's not a really good team, but I thought them being without Reese James was going to be an issue because England's dealing with some injuries and that loss is actually massive that Reese James isn't there. Uh, you know, and Germany's dealing with injuries. France's whole entire midfield is dealing with the mad injuries. <laughs> so I'm taking a look at the top teams. And I'm like, who's going to make it? You talked about Argentina. They are the favorite to win it. They haven't lost in like 35 games. They're undefeated. They won the Copa America. They have Messi, which gives them, you know, that extra little bit of juice because arguably he's one of the greatest players of all time. I'm going to roll with Brazil, though. I think this year they get it done. They have the experience. They have good defense. They have a young attackist in Richarlson, who, of course, is a striker that they're going to need for him to have a major game. They have elite keepers. I also think you mentioned Neymar. I think this is the year where Neymar puts Brazil on his back and leads them back to a World Cup final. Brazil has underperformed in the past, right? Dating back to when they lost in the quarterfinals in 2018. Then they lost to Argentina in the Copa America. So I think they have a lot to prove. To me, Brazil is just stacked. And, you know, when you talk about their midfield, when you talk about Fred and um, Casemiro, they've actually, when they played together in the midfield, they've only lost one game. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a crazy, crazy stat. And they're not struggling with injuries, as other teams are like Germany has injuries. Um, I mentioned France's midfield. England is dealing with some injuries and we knew that would happen. Senegal, uh, which, you know, I, I'm like a sleeper fan of them because they are talented. They're not going to win it all, but I feel like they could have some magic. They're dealing with uh, injuries as well. So for me, I think it's Brazil because they are, I think they have the most depth at every position. And I think at this point, Neymar is going to, have a crazy world cup and he's going to have to, but he has the young talent behind him this time. So I'm going to roll with Brazil to get this one done. And of course, Argentina, they're the favorite to win it. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the world cup final as well, just because of the run that they've been on, you know, leading into this one and big shout out to Canada too, because it's their first world cup appearance since 1986. And um, that is absolutely massive. And um, you know, they're in a really, really tough group, but nonetheless, like as um, you know, a, Canadian I'm happy to see them there because the last time they were in it I wasn't even born uh you know to see like local guys like Alfonso Davies who played for the Caps and stuff to be one of the guys on the team and you you know it's it's really cool to see and I know a lot of people are hyped for it so point blank would love to know who you have winning the World Cup final do you have one solid pick or do you have a couple that you think could possibly win it let us know drop some comments below and you can also hit us up on our YouTube channel or our Instagram channels as well. Let's go over to boxing, Chantel. Big weekend of boxing happening this weekend. Let's talk about Regis Progress versus Jose Zapata, Chantel. How do you see this one going? Well, 
This one is for the vacant WBC title, which of course, uh, Josh Taylor had to vacate. Regis Prograde, 27 and 1, 23 by knockout. That one loss is to Josh Taylor. That was a really close fight. And personally, I thought Regis Prograde won that fight. Um, he's one of the best guys in the division. He has real power. He's a really good counter puncher, good IQ. I love his nasty overhand right. That's one of my favorite punches from him. Uh, and I think between him and Zapata, he has the edge in speed um, and he can bang on the inside. If you want to bang on the inside, he can fight at a distance. He also beat Terry Flanagan, who I believe is a pit of loss to, if I'm not um, mistaken. Um, and speaking of Jose Zapata, he's 35 and two, 27 by knockout. So right away, you know that both of these guys have real, real power. Um, Zapata, he's tough as hell. And I always go back to that fight with Ivan Baranchik when he got dropped twice. That was like one of the fights of the year. And, you know, if you haven't seen that fight, go back and watch it because it was like stellar. And I always go back to that fight because he got dropped twice. I think it was in the first round. Um, I have to go back and rewatch it. But it was in the first round. He got dropped twice and he was able to get the victory. So, you know, that he's tough as nails when it comes to experience. I actually give the edge to Zapata because he's had more fights. But um, the left hand is vicious. His last loss was against Jose Ramirez. He recently like put on a crazy show against um, Vargas, knocked him out. Uh, he, after that knockout, people were talking about if Vargas should just hang it up uh, because it was at Madison Square Garden. And yeah, it was just, it was insane, man. But that was a really good win for Zapata because that was a very big test for Vargas. And I think it was a test that was too soon for him, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. Um, as for Zapata, sometimes I feel like he's really heavy on his lead foot. So when he throws like wild punches, he can be a little bit off balance. And I think he's a little bit one dimensional because, yeah, he has a really nice jab and he works the jab really well and he throws like double and triple jabs. But at the same time, he doesn't go to the body enough. And that's something that Regis Prograde does really, really well. He goes to the body and because of that and because of the fact that Regis Prograde, you know, if you want to bang on the inside, he's going to bang with you on the inside. Zapata likes to fight at a distance. He doesn't necessarily want to bang with you on the inside. But I think what's going to happen in this fight, I actually think it's going to be a really, really close fight. I think the difference is actually going to be Prograde's head movement and defense in this one. My only issue with Prograde is, is that like sometimes, and you'll probably notice this as well, is like midway through the fight, mid rounds, he kind of like takes it a little bit easy. I think he tries to conserve his energy for the later rounds, which is like smart. But at the same time, like he kind of goes away from the fight and like disappears a little bit. And that's something that I'm like, man, during those middle rounds, Zapata might get at him, right? And this is a fight that could possibly go to the card. So if I'm pro-gray, I don't want to lose those like middle rounds to Zapata. So I hope he doesn't take off rounds in the middle. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that Regis Progray, I think he does so many things well. And when I stack up all the attributes, like this is a really, really good fight. And it was really hard for me to make a decision on this one. But I think... I think Regis Prograde gets it done. I think he's going to go to the body. I think he's going to land some power shots. I think Zapata is going to have some really big moments as well, especially in those mid rounds. My only concern for Prograde, as I mentioned, is his conditioning. How is his conditioning going to look? Is he going to take some rounds off in the middle? But I think at the end, I think Regis Prograde is going to be a little bit too much. He's going to do a little bit too much damage. And because the thing is, it's like Zapata likes to fight from a distance more. Like he's not going to want to bang with you on the inside. But Regis Prograde is like, hey, you want to bang on the inside? I'll bang with you on the inside. If you want to fight from a distance? I'll fight 
I'll fight at a distance and I'll still do work against you because he's just so his IQ is so good. Um, you know, he throws a lot of good body shots, you know, he's got power. So I think those body shots to the body with power are going to add up and it's going to get to Zapata because it's going to be a back and forth fight, but I think Regis Progray will be able to get the victory and I have him winning by stoppage in the championship rounds. So what about you? Yeah, you just talked about Zapata's fight against Bratnacek. I mean, geez, what there was what, like six, seven knockdowns in that fight? And I'm interested to see how these first four rounds are going to go because I think Zapata was caught off guard by the aggression against Ivan uh, Bratnacek in that fight. And he wasn't prepared for someone to come at him that aggressive. Regis Progre's last fight, he was the aggressor, but he wasn't really taking that fight seriously. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted. I don't even I don't remember his last opponent's name, Ty Tyron something, but he did whatever he wanted in that fight, just stood right there in the pocket and traded shots with him and did whatever he wanted to. And I don't think that was the challenge. Uh, I understand it was a tune up fight, but that guy is not going to be this guy that he's fighting. The thing is, they're both southpaw, so it makes things a little bit more interesting. But as you said, Chantel, Zapata is very one-sided, right? I think he's going to bank off that one-two combination, that same one-two shot that dropped Vargas. And he did close out the show very well, right? He was very focused and very locked in that fight. He was very focused and locked in against Breknicek. But when he fought Lundy, I don't know what the heck that was. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing in that fight. He just didn't seem like he wanted to be there in that fight. So for me, when I look at Zapata, I'm thinking to myself, man, you cannot afford to not be in this fight early and coming from a mental standpoint. I didn't even think um, that Vargas, I know Vargas was the hometown guy at the time. I thought that he was going to win, but I thought Vargas was way too overconfident going with that fight against Zapata. And it showed in this one for me with pro grace, when I see him, I was not really sold on what I was seeing from what people were saying. There was a lot of talk about him, a lot of hype about him, but he's kind of a heavy-handed puncher. Now, he never seems like he's really hurting his opponent, but then he clips him, and these guys are stumbling back. And you think it to yourself, wait a minute, either this guy has got extreme power or he's extremely accurate, and I think it's the accuracy more than the power. And he's a very good, accurate puncher, whether it's a body shot, whether it's an uppercut, whatever it is, he's accurate with it. And I want to see him come forward a little bit more in this fight and be a little bit more aggressive and make Zapata fight off the back foot because Zapata doesn't have the footwork that Pro Grace has, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see what that first four rounds is like. I agree with you. Pro Grace does take the middle rounds off. But if Zapata is the more aggressive fight and maybe he's dead on the cards, then what is that going to look like as he adjusts going into the later half of the round? So I'm interested to see how these four these first four rounds go. Um, I want to see who's going to be the aggressor. I could also see Progress coming in and controlling and slowing down the tempo from the jump. And that could be another thing as well, too, because that's what Lundy did against Zapata. And Zapata didn't respond very well. He still won by unanimous decision, but that wasn't a fight that Zapata uh, should have Lundy made him work a lot more. So if Progress comes in and slows this thing down from the beginning, it's going to be an easy win for Progress. So I'm taking, I'm taking Progress to win by decision. I think this one goes all the way. Um, knockdown. I could see a knockdown. I could see Zapata getting knocked down in the ninth or tenth round. 
but I think Pearl Grace wins this one by decision. Point Blank would love to know your thoughts. Who do you have winning this one? Let us know in the comment section below. Now we got to go over to the UK Chantel where Dillian the Body Snatcher White is back in the ring this weekend against Jermaine Franklin. Chantel, what, what, what do you think about this fight? Who do you have winning this one? All right, well, let's start off with Dillian White, right? Because he's 28 and three, nine by knockout. He's coming off a loss against arguably the best heavyweight in the world right now in Tyson Fury. And I think White gets a lot of slack, but at the same time, he shouldn't be slept on, man. He has some good names on his resume. He beat Shazora twice, Joseph Parker, Hellenius, Povekin. Yeah, he lost to Joshua, but this is a guy that's been in the ring with a lot of experienced boxers and boxers with a high pedigree. And I think a lot of people are like, well, Dillian White has taken too many L's and, you know, he's not an elite heavyweight. It depends how you want to slice it. But at the same time, he's been in the ring with some dudes, man. And that just also shows me that he's not afraid to go up against anybody. And I got to give, you know, some love and props to a guy like Dillian White because he's ready to fight with you. He's not he's not afraid of anybody. He's got good power in his left hook, nice right hand. He gets to the body really well. He lands a flurry of combos. And I always go back to that Povetkin fight where he was able to have so much success with combo work that he was doing just landed on him in that second fight he also has a really nice jab which is interesting because when we when we get into Jermaine fake Franklin he's 21 and 0 14 by knockout and he gets hit with the jab a lot this guy doesn't have the best head movement and he just leaves his chin exposed he does have power when it comes to speed he has the speed advantage for sure over a guy like Dillian White. And yeah, he's got those fast hands, man. So I think he's going to be able to definitely land on Dillian White. But also, he doesn't have a lot of experience. Like when I actually went and looked at the guys that he fought on his resume, and I'm like taking a look, I'm like, okay, hey, which one is a big name here? And the only one that I thought was like kind of a, a big name was like Jerry Forrest. And then I go back to when like Pulev like body jerry forrest so i'm like okay like okay jermaine franklin hasn't been in the ring with some big names so this is jermaine franklin's toughest test yet dillian white a guy that just fought the best heavyweight in the world a guy that's taught you know faced chisora twice beat him twice a guy that's faced povetkin a guy that's uh taken on anthony joshua yeah he lost but he just has the experience in the championship rounds where jermaine franklin he's the younger fighter but, you know, this is his toughest test in a real test. Dillian White is no slouch, man. And, um, you know, when I took a look at the resume, I also took a look at his last fight, which was against Rodney Moore. And I realized that he came into that fight at 277. And normally, Jermaine Franklin comes in around like 240-ish, you know, 235-ish, sometimes 250-ish. Like 277 is heavy. So I hope he doesn't come in that overweight. I hope he comes in like, you know, fit so that he's not just relying on his power and his weight to knock out a guy like Dillian White. So that is one thing that I was like, 277? Like, that is heavy as hell. So I'm really curious to see, you know, when they do, um, you know, when they check everyone's weight and everything, I wonder how heavy he's mm. going to come in. Um, I think that's going to be a big factor. Also, like, conditioning as well, right? You want to make sure that you're able to withstand this fight. Now, I talked about how Dillian White has a really nice jab, and he does, and how Jermaine Franklin just leaves himself exposed. He just has his chin out there. It's like, you know, when you're in school and, like, the teacher calls your name and you're like, huh? And you, like, leave your chin out? That's what Jermaine Franklin does. He just leaves his chin out. And so that's why I think Dillian White, I think his experience is going to be way too much. And also, when you look at the career trajectory of Dillian White, it's like, at this point in his career, what is next? 
right? He's at the late later end of his career, but at the same time, it's like he just took a loss against arguably the best heavyweight in the world. And what is next for him? Like, he doesn't want to be one of those guys that goes into the ring and keeps on taking L's. He wants a dub, right? Because this is his career as well. So I think Dillian White is coming into this fight more motivated than ever. And he even said in an interview that he wants to knock out Jermaine Franklin. And the fact that he's more experienced and Jermaine Franklin is just leaving his chin out exposed at all times, I think Dillian White is going to get the knockout. But I do think that Jermaine Franklin is going to show off his speed and his power, and he's going to have some massive moments in this fight. But I have Dillian White winning by knockout. What about you, Akeem? Yeah, Jermaine's going to have to need to do that. I mean, that's some of his strengths is the footwork, the hand speed. Um, but do agree completely, Chantel. He's not a guy who is defensively responsible. You know, I think he's one of those guys – He. You could tell he's naturally talented because he is explosive, right? And he's able to get in and to get out and to slip in and slip out, land shots against guys who don't have the type of resume like he's fighting. This is a step up for him. He's able to get away with those things against a Forrest and a Rydell Booker and those guys. He's able to get away with that against them. But against someone like Dillian White, who is a decent counterpuncher, who is able to take a shot and throw a shot, that's just not going to be, you're not just going to be dealing with natural athleticism. You're going to have to be able to do a little bit more. Not fully sold on Dillian White's chin either, but the man can take a shot. So Jermaine Franklin, if he is coming in, I've been, people have been saying, sending me videos, he's training with uh, Tyson Fury a little bit and this and that. And like, yeah, like I understand that. You know, I, I, I train, I, you know, I, I, I train with some of the fastest guys in the world didn't mean that I was ready to beat them on certain nights. Right. He has to be able to put all of that together and then do it on the time that it counts on the stage in front of all these people in front of all the lights against a guy who is experienced, knows how to handle the moment and knows how to throw a punch. And he's going to attack that body. Right. So Jermaine Franklin is going to. Not, I don't want to say he has to be dang near perfect, but he cannot be wild in this fight. He has to be calculated. He has to pick his spots and he has to try and have Dillian White moving around where Dillian White may be able to get tired. Going back to Dillian White, um, I like Dillian White. I know a lot of UK guys don't, a lot of people don't, but I like the body snatcher. Again, born in Jamaica, I resonate with the story, growing up tough around violence. Like that's my story. Like I understand it. So he has a lot of that toughness bringing into the fight. Now, going back to his fight against Tyson Fury, I personally thought he went into that fight with the wrong game plan. He was in there trying to outbox Tyson Fury. You're not going to outbox Tyson Fury, man. He's too nimble on his feet. The hand speed, he's too good. He's too technically sound. And then in the fifth round, Chantel, his legs were a little bit wobbly. I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, what's going on with your conditioning? You know, and I just didn't like that, the conditioning side of it, and just seeing how he was doing it. That was not a fight that the Dillian White that I was used to seeing. Yeah. So you just said he's more motivated than ever. And I believe that too. And I'm going to believe that until I see otherwise. So I have Dillian White winning this fight by knockout. I think the body shots are going to be ripping to the body. I think he's going to be coming forward a lot more early. I think Dillian White is just more equipped and ready for the big stage. Jermaine Franklin has to be able to seize the moment, but this is a big step up. Anything can happen in boxing, absolutely. 
But man, this is a this is a tough night. Plus, you're fighting in front of the UK fans, UK hometown. Yeah. And it's a little tough to win this fight. Is it possible? Absolutely. Will he get done? I guess we will see this weekend. Point Blank would love to know your thoughts on this fight. Who do you have winning and how? Let us know in the comments section below. Before we get out, Chantel, always got to talk a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of a uh, topic that, that I think um, has been getting a lot of plays in certain areas, Chantel. Mediocrity, something that we hear a lot, something that people say a lot, uh, but when it comes to mind, what does it make you think of? Um, it makes me think of that song with T.I. No Mediocre. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Oh, Izzy's with... on it. Izzy, that's is, it, that's is, it. I don't even know, but I just like T.I.'s part in that. Yeah, I just like T.I.'s part. Okay, no, I'm just joking. Um, what is, uh, I think it just, to me, it means like being mediocre, right? And there's a lot of things that are mediocre and you might be mediocre in something. Everyone is mediocre at something. Let's just be honest. But I think if you really work hard at something that you want to achieve and you put in your time and your effort, you're going to not be mediocre at something. And that's the thing. Like when we first start off doing something, like for example, my first time ever on air as a traffic anchor, I was alone at the studio, no more training. And I was, I was probably the worst thing ever heard on radio. It was brutal and it was only traffic and it was terrible. And um, I remember that being like, man, I don't know if I could do this. And um, it was below mediocre. Um, but at the same time, I worked at it every day and every day got a little bit better. And then you get the reps and you're doing it so much. And at one point, you know, you get to a point where you're not mediocre anymore. And you can say, you know what, I'm put in a lot of effort and I worked really hard and this is where I am today. Now there's some things you might do and you might just be mediocre at it forever. And that is okay as well. I think people shouldn't be so hard on themselves <laughs> because some, not everything is for everybody. And, and you know what I mean? It's like, and sometimes you have to go through things and figure out what works for you to know what you're good at and what you're mediocre at. But that's what I think about what I think about being like being mediocre. What about you, Akim? Yeah. When I was in high school, um, we, you know, you always have beginning of the year, what's it called? Assemblies, right? Where the principal come out and they talk and they try and set the tone. Well, I remember my principal, uh, Arvin Rajan, uh, in the 10th grade when we first got to high school, shout out to Crescent Heights High School. And a lot, a lot of people were paying attention. I don't think many people pay attention in those things, but I was paying attention. Um, and he said, at Crescent Heights, we will not settle for mediocrity. And that always stuck with me because, you know, I always try to be the best at every single thing that I am a part of. And I don't think uh, mediocrity is something that we should take lightly because we can fall into that style and that way of just accepting things for what it is. And I think you can make things a little bit better. You may not be excellent. You may not be great at it, but you can become a little bit better at something. You know, I was never the greatest at math. I'm very mediocre at math but I always tried to get better at it. And I did enough where I was able to graduate and get my degree, right? So there's a lot of things that we're not going to be great at, but it doesn't mean that you should not try at it, right? When you put consistent effort towards something, you get a little bit better, even if it's just half a percentage. And so that always stuck with me. It's like, yeah, we're gonna be mediocre at something. We're not gonna be the best at some things, but we can still put effort towards getting a little bit mediocre yeah. above average, 
through something. And that always stuck with me. And so when I think about that, I just think about not settling, man, you know, not settling on anything. Don't accept things just the way that they were, just the way that they are. You can do a little bit to get a little bit better. It ain't about being perfect at it, but it's about trying a little bit more to be a little bit better at it. So that's what it means to me. Uh, that's what it means to Chantel. Point blank would love to know your thoughts when you hear mediocrity what comes to mind? Maybe you have a quote that kind of encourages you in that sense of personal development. Definitely let us know. T.I. T.I. did say, I don't want no mediocre. I won't say the other word because kids might be watching. But yeah, he had a quote there. <laughs> As uh, maybe maybe that's the, the 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 quote of this episode. No mediocre. <laughs> Actually, no, because they might be. They might try to sue us. We ain't. We ain't, we ain't got. No, sued. no, we don't. We, we don't. We don't want to pay those bills. You know. <laughs> but point blank would love to know your thoughts on the word mediocre, mediocrity, mediocre. What comes to mind? Definitely let us know in the comment section below. This is episode number sixty. If you've been rocking with us for sixty episodes, then wow. do us a huge favor and leave a rating and review of the show wherever it is that you can leave podcast ratings and review and of course if you enjoy watching the visual episode you can definitely watch us on youtube every wednesday uh 10 p 10 a.m eastern standard time 7 a.m pacific standard time we will be right there so with all that being said i'm akeem haynes i'm chantelle chance and this is point blank and we'll see you next time